you would, open your Bibles to the 15th chapter of the book of Romans, Romans 15. As you're turning there, I'll let you know that uh, Dr. Weldon will be back in the office uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, he's been on vacation this week, but he's only going to be in the office tomorrow. He leaves Tuesday to go to General Assembly in Nashville. So if you need to catch him, catch him uh, tomorrow, and then he'll be back in the pulpit uh, next Sunday morning, Lord willing. But uh, this morning we're going to look at, uh, at uh, this portion of Romans chapter 15, and just a, a wonderful book, obviously. It's, 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 uh, its impact to the church over history is uh, counted over and over and over, and delighted to be looking at a few verses here this morning. of Romans 15, beginning in verse 1, and remember, this is the Word of God. <clears throat> we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days is written for our instruction, and through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let us pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would work in our hearts and minds this morning, and that we would see marvelous, glorious truths in this portion of your holy gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was entering eighth grade, I was starting a new school. I was leaving the public school system. I was starting to attend a Christian school. And I remember that first day of school, getting to school, and I was scared to death. I did not know but about six people in this entire school that went from 7th through 12th grade. And I was there standing in this courtyard type place before school started that first morning looking around. And there's probably a hundred students milling around in there, most of them glad to see each other after not seeing each other during the summer. And I did not know a soul there and no one knew me. And I was standing there thinking, I don't know what to do or where to go. And all of a sudden, this fellow came walking up to me by the name of Brian Downs. And Brian came up to me and he said, so are you new here? And I said, yes, I am. And we started to talk for a little bit. It turns out he was also in eighth grade, but he'd been to the school the year before. And he said to me, would you like to hang out with me today? I can show you around. And instantly, the fear that I had of not knowing where to go, not knowing anybody, not knowing what to do, vanished because this one kind soul decided to accept me for who I was right there on the spot. Now, I know all of us have been on both sides of that situation. We've been somewhere before where we didn't feel very comfortable. We weren't so sure that we were wanted, and, and, and that's that uncomfortable feeling. And we've also been on the other side, if we're honest, 
where we've been someplace and we might have noticed that there's somebody like that and we may or may not have reached out to them. Today I want us to look at our text that's before us and see how God would have us treat one another. We're going to look at the, the sacrifice that it takes to really accept what others. We're going to see how Christ would have us accept others. And finally, we're going to look at how when we accept others the way Christ would have us do it, that God is glorified. So with that being said, let's look at the first couple of verses of our text here this morning. Verse 1 again. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. This is our fourth week in our summer series on one another. And today's topic is accepting one another. And I want you to be really honest with yourself this morning as we're gathered here. Are there people in this room that you have a hard time accepting? If maybe not here, then maybe at work. Are there people that you have a hard time accepting? Maybe even at home. Students, how about in school? Do you accept everybody at school just for who they are? I want us this morning to, to really think about this and think about what is it about us that sometimes that we do not want to accept others for who they are. Paul's writing this letter to the Christians in Rome, and, and what's applicable to them applies to us also. And Paul starts off by encouraging those who are more mature in the faith to have patience and to be forbearing with those that are less mature. Now, why would Paul feel the need to write that to, to the mature Christians? I mean, by definition, shouldn't mature Christians already know that? Well, yes, they should. But the reality of it is that this is a topic that's hit on over and over in the Bible. And the truth of the matter is, it's really difficult for us sometimes to love others the way that God would have us do it. In fact, our text today, it's just a snippet of a much larger passage. It actually begins the beginning of Romans 14 and runs through the middle of Romans 15 on the subject of being kind to one another. In Romans 14:15, we read, If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Romans 14:19, Let us pursue what makes for peace, for mutual upbuilding. Romans 14, 21, it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So the point throughout has been be willing to forgo your freedoms in matters of meat and drink and other non-essential things. If you can, by doing that, you can avoid destroying a weaker brother. Instead, we are told to build up their faith. Paul writes similar things to the church in Corinth. He writes similar things to his understudy, Timothy. And it's throughout the New Testament, this, this idea that we need to be reaching out and taking care of others. So something that's so important throughout the Bible, it, it ought to be important to us. Here in Romans 15, 1 and 2, he talks about 
not pleasing ourselves, but pleasing our neighbor for, for our neighbor's good, to, to, for the purpose of, of building up his faith. And I want to make something clear here as we talk about this. When, when we talk about not pleasing ourselves for the idea of pleasing others, uh, we're, we're talking about the guideline being used uh, of only when that behavior is a non-essential thing is at stake and only when the other person's really going to be built up. The reason I say that is because over in Galatians, we know that Paul says something almost di- the opposite there. He says in, in Galatians 1, Am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. But see, the difference is over in Galatians, he's talking about preaching the gospel and that he's not going to change for the sake of preaching the gospel. Because if he changes then... Well, then what he's actually doing is going to be destroying a person. And that's, that's different than a non-essential issue. So if we can please people for, for building them up, we do it. But if we never try to please people, if it's ultimately going to end up destroying them, then we don't want to do it. Here is the principle of living a godly, upright, holy life. Be willing to accept others, even if it means sacrifice on your part. Be willing to accept others, even if it means sacrifice on your part. In the context of the church, it's, it's not living to please ourselves. That's not what we're called to do. It's living with, with others in mind all the time. We're not to be full of our own importance. We're told... We may have a right to do something, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to do it. The Christian life is often about denying ourselves for the sake of others. We get in the mindset that that I will not have him or her tell me how to do this or how to do that. But Paul's saying that's not the type of mindset we should have. It should be just the opposite. We should be willing to, to give up our own desires for the sake of others. Paul says, you may have a right to do this, but I will deny myself if it's going to build you up. For the sake of peace, for the sake of harmony, for the sake of the blessing of the community, we're, we're not to always be about the business of pleasing ourselves. We should seek, seek to build others up and to strengthen one another. That's what Paul is saying here in these first couple of verses. The problem is that on some level, all of us do this. We we make ourselves king and queen of our own little world, and and we expect everybody to to bow down to us and and, and to do things the way that we want things done. We live in what Paul Tripp describes as the delusion of self-sovereignty. The problem is it puts us in the center of our universe. And that's the one place where God should be, is in the center of our universe. So we don't want to do that. We're not the center of our world. God is. And if we don't want to accept others for who they are, then what we're saying is you're messing up my life the way I want it to be. I'm more important than you. I'm more important than God. And I don't want 
you to mess up my world. Well, that's a tough place to be. So how is it that we can accept people the way God would have us do it? Well, what we need to do is we need to develop in our lives a Christ-like acceptance. Let's look at our text a little closer here to see what this Christ-like acceptance might look like. Look at me uh, with me in, in verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days is written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Here we have the Apostle Paul quoting uh, Psalm 69, verse 9. And, and Psalm 69 is one of the most quoted psalms throughout the New Testament. We see here the willingness of Christ to deny himself and suffer for the benefits of others. Why do you think Paul took this moment to quote this psalm? Well, it's really quite simple if you think about it. If the king of the universe can deny himself for the sake of others, then you and I can deny ourselves for the sake of others. If you're not familiar with, with Psalm 69, it's, it's, it's a wonderful psalm, and I encourage you to spend some time in it. It's one of the great messianic psalms that, that, that we have. Seven of its uh, 36 verses are quoted throughout uh, the New Testament. Read the psalm, and when you read it, ha- have Jesus in mind, going through it line by line. You'll see how, how Jesus fulfills that psalm, and that psalm is all about him. It's a psalm about the, the suffering of Christ for others. It's a psalm about the self-denial of Christ. It's a psalm about Jesus becoming our, our sin bearer and our substitute. So there's no reason, I mean, that you complete, can, completely can understand why it is that, that, that Paul would go to this psalm when he's talking about this subject. It's a psalm that recalls how, how Jesus was mocked and ridiculed. It's a psalm that, that's, that recalls about how he was denied and slandered by his enemies, how he is estranged by his brothers, criticized by rulers, how even drunkards would sing songs about him. That, it, it's a song about Jesus' sacrifice for his people. That's what the psalm is saying. Even on the cross, remember, even on the cross, they ridiculed him. If you are the Son of God, come down and save yourself. They mocked him. And yet, he denied himself for the sake of others. What does this say to us about Jesus? Well, obviously, it says that he did not live his life to try to please himself. He did not lead his life with a, a me-first type attitude. No, he, he lived for other. He lived for you, and he lived for me, and he lived for his people. He lived for those for whom he had come to die, and for whose his blood he would shed to provide atonement and reconciliation. Well, how important do you think it was to Jesus for us to live sacrificial 
accepting lives with one another. Let me tell you how important it was. Do you remember what Jesus was doing right before he was arrested? He's praying. That's right. He was praying. And remember what he was praying? He was praying for us. In John 17, we have that what we call the high priestly prayer. That Jesus Christ, our high priest, praying for his people. Listen to what he, part of that prayer. Picking it up here in verse 6. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm pr- I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Now, now listen to this. He says, I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. See what Christ is saying here? Christ is using the unity of the Holy Trinity as the example that we're to have for unity with each other. The unity that's found in the Trinity is the example that Christ is praying for us to have as a unity with each other, as a body of believers. He's using perfect unity as the example for us. All of us. To have that same sort of unity, we must be willing to follow the example of Jesus Christ and deny ourselves of whatever it is that we think that we should have and accept one another as Christ accepts us. Before we look at the the last point, I want to make just a a quick reference to to verse 4. As I was working through this this passage, uh, it's all I could do not to to write a whole other sermon for for just verse 4 Alone, It's so, so rich. In verse 4, it's there to encourage us and remind us that the Bible is useful for teaching us all things about life. And we have no hope apart from the Word. That's it. That's going to be my three-point sermon someday. That the Word of God encourages us. That the Word of God instructs us. And that there's no hope apart from the Word of God. Men and women, I... I beseech you to be men and women of the Word of God. Make it a valuable part of your lives each and every day. But let's look at our last point. That's all I'm going to say about verse 4. Let's look at our last point. As we accept one another, do you realize that God is glorified? Look at verse 5 with me. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another and accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 
Let's first look at verse 7, then we'll back up to to verses 5 and 6. The word welcome here is is a very interesting word in the original language. In some of your uh, translations, no doubt, you you have uh, accept one another. And and that's that's also a good good term. But the the word actually goes even deeper than that. When we think of being welcomed, uh, we think we arrive somewhere and and we're welcomed. But it's not exactly like that. We, we, it's, a, it's a very active word. It's going out and, and grabbing someone and bringing them to you is, is what that word's really saying. You know, we did not ring the doorbell to Christ and he welcomed us in to, to his grace. Uh, no, this word shows, you know, the, the whole idea of him going out and, and, and grabbing us and bringing us to him. It, it, in a lot of ways, that this... this shows us the gospel right here. You know, Christ Jesus actively goes forth and saves sinners from their sins. And he brings them. You know, we're bystanders. We're watchers, if you will be. And, and he brings us to enjoy the benefits of his work on the cross. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We can't even help in our salvation. And yet with this very active idea of going out. Now, this is what we're told, that we should be the same way towards one another. We should be pursuing others, bringing them into fellowship with us. You know, that's, that's really quite remarkable, if you think about it. Christ left the glory of heaven to come down and, and, and to be born in a stable and... and to live a life of a man, to work with his hands. He went on to be humiliated and to suffer, and to die a shameful death on the cross for our benefit so that he could welcome us, so that he could accept us. Now we're told that we're to have that same attitude towards one another. We're to make every effort possible to get along with one another, to accept one another, to love one another, to welcome one another. Never thinking of our own good, but only the good of others. Only then will we'll be accepting the way God would have us be accepting of each other. John Piper says, Paul's goal is never merely good human relations, though. The ultimate aim of the Apostle Paul and Jesus is to display the glory of God, the beauty of God, the greatness of God, the many-sided perfections of God. All of creation, all of redemption, all of the church, and all of society and culture exist to display the glory of God. In fact, that's why we're sending a team to Haiti this week and why we're sending a team to West Virginia next week is so that we could show the glory of God to the people in those places. We want to show them the love of Jesus Christ. That's why we're sending them out. That's why it's so important that you stay committed to your faith mission giving because when you're giving, what you're doing is you're showing the glory of God to others both here in the community and around the world. In verses 5 and 6, we see the call for us to be unified. The result of this unity is that God 
is glorified. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unity is essential if God is going to be glorified. When the world watches us as a congregation, love on one another, help out one another, serve one another, support one another, encourage one another, then they see the church functioning in the way that God intended it to, to work. And when that happens, who gets the credit? Well, it's not us. We didn't design it. It's God. He's the one who's glorified when the church works the way it ought to work. In that prayer that we were looking at a little while ago in, in, in John 17, towards the end of the prayer, Christ prays this for, for, for us. In verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Our desire should always be to see Christ glorified. For he's the only one worthy of true glory. For when Christ is glorified, we see the promises of of the gospel fulfilled. When, When Christ is glorified, we can be assured that he is in control. When Christ is glorified, then we know that the king is on his throne, and no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what the circumstances are, we know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is on his throne and ruling the way that he needs to rule. And we can find peace and we can rest when that is the truth. Friends, Jesus doesn't want us just to settle for big homes and big bank accounts. That's that's not what he wants. He prays for us to be holy so that we can see him in his glory. He he wants us all gathered together. So often we, we want to settle for just so much less than what God wants for us. He has big plans for us. He has grand plans for our lives. But instead of constantly going back to God over and over, asking Him for the temporal comforts of this life. He challenges us to, 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 to love each other and, and to accept one another and, and to follow the call of unity. Are, are you ready to follow the call of Christ and deny yourself for the sake of others? To welcome and accept others for who they are and, and, and all that for the glory of God. When we have a heart that's like Christ and is seeking the things of our Heavenly Father, well, then we're really on to something. Then we'll know what it's like to live as a child of the King. And every single one of us at one point was as lost as I was that first day of school in eighth grade. We were lost in a life of sin and misery. Yet Jesus came seeking his people, welcoming us, accepting us, bringing us in 
to fellowship with him, saying, follow me. I'll show you around. I'll show you the way to go. Now he instructs each of us to do likewise with one another. So go forth this week. I encourage you, go forth this week. Be active in your welcoming and accepting of others. Because when you do, God is glorified. Let's pray together.